You know, it's a, it's a great thing to sing our praises, to worship him. And, and it, it's kind of neat to have a different varieties and styles because, you know, just like we kind of have a different personalities, we sort of have different spiritual personalities too. Did you know that? And, and different songs and different musics and different so on uh, cause different ones of us to feel close to and attached to the holy. As you know, for me, uh, I'm kind of like the last bit of a song there. That's why Dave's always compassionate to me because he puts a you know, an up song, upbeat song for me before I go so that I'm all ready to go. Uh, because normally, I'm going to be honest with you, I have to really apply discipline in the slow, quote, melodious songs. Uh, my mind is like, take my dog for a walk, what am I going to have for lunch? If I don't discipline myself to pay attention for those sort of songs that, that some people find, find intimate, but, but there are some exceptions to that, aren't there? Some of you that like normally melodious, you know, quiet, meditative songs, some, there's the odd one that's kind of uproarious that you enjoy. And for me, there's some songs that even though they're just sort of not my normal style or whatever, like that's more me, I like that thing. <laughs> There's some that, that just grab my heart and rip it up into the seventh heaven. And one of those is the hymn that has these words in it because it has these words in Come Thou Fount. I've got to be careful because my eyes get kind of blurry if I sing them or think about them too much. Oh, to grace. How great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, like a chain, like a handcuff, let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Well, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I love that verse in that hymn. Because you see, in one measure or another, we all wander, don't we? We all just sort of get off the path a little bit or a lot. And we, we kind of wonder, we all, in some decision, in some action, in some attitude, we sort of leave the God that we love and go our own way in, in stubbornness or rebellion or selfishness or, or just adrift. Who knows what? We, we, we wander away. And it's this amazing grace of God that pulls us back. And that's something that isn't always appreciated. You know, on, on Thursdays, we have Thursday prayers, you know, from 7 till 8. And then some of us uh, go for, for breakfast and coffee up at the North A&W around there. We get there around, I don't know, 10 after 8. And there's another bunch of guys who are there who are different than us. <laughs> and, um, you know, they get into these conversations, raucous conversations. We sit right there. And every once in a while, some of them in particular, if they're going to criticize religion or the church, they just crank the volume up a little bit, you know, just to let us know what's going on. And, and this last Thursday, one of them was saying how ridiculous it is for people to come to church. And this is exactly how he went. Because I know, because I was listening, because he made sure I could hear him, because I always sit on the end. And then he go to church. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, please forgive me. Even though they know they're not supposed to have done that. And he, that's what he did. Because he just thinks it's ridiculous that we can wander and come back week after week and come to this table and say, Lord, I have wandered. 
But this grace, this forgiveness, you take me back. You redeem me again. Because your grace constrains it. Your grace pulls us back. We wander. And it's crazy that this God of ours, this holy, righteous, pure, magnificent, all-powerful God welcomes us back. Every single one of us, every single time. And it's because of that truth that James is inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these words. Here's what he writes. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a wanderer, whoever turns a sinner from the wandering ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You know, that passage, though it's, it's shockingly abrupt, it really shouldn't surprise us that James finishes his letter in exactly that way. Because the whole letter, as we've been going through it, you've noticed, it, it's God calling his people back, saying, hey, you're wandering from this little truth. You're kind of misguided here. Hey, you're not living out the way you should be doing it here. And, and, and through James, he's saying, come back, come back, come back. Because living out or return to living out the truths that you live. And that's why James, he has more commands per word in his book than any other book in the New Testament. Okay, count the number of words and how many of those words are commands. James has the most. Because he's calling us back. He's saying, you need to live this out. But I'll tell you, did you notice something else? Something that I think we oftentimes miss, and that's why I think some people find I get grumpy with James. He also says so frequently, 14 times, brothers and sisters, Brothers and sisters do this. Brothers and sisters do this. 14 times in five chapters, he said, brothers and sisters, just come back. Well, why does he do that? Because what he's doing is he's expressing his love and God's love for those of us who are kind of wandering and getting off track. And he's saying, brothers and sisters, come back to what you know is true. Come back to what? Whoa, baby. Hmm. <laughs> come back. To what you said you've covenanted to live. You see, he knows that we all wander. And he knows that in our lives there's always some things that our brothers and sisters need to confront in my life and me in your life. Whether it's a sin of action or a wandering from the truth doctrinally or whatever it is, it just creeps into our life. And if we truly love each other, then we will confront that issue in each other's life. Because you see, this whole thing about confronting bad stuff in each other's lives, it's all about love. It's all about how much do we love each other, really? How much do we love each other? Do we truly love each other enough to speak into each other's lives when we see somebody going astray? You see, the consequences of wandering from the truth are so very significant. You need to do the next slide. And the next, the next thing that 
that we need to recognize is that it's so easy to fall off the, the, the continuum on either side in this whole deal about speaking into each other's lives. We can do what, what around here we fear the most, and that is we can get over here and we sort of fall into some kind of a legalism where we're just out with our clip chart making sure that everybody's staying on the fruit and straight and narrow, and boy, if you're not, you got, a, you got something coming to you, and we're all on guard, and we're kind of like the Pharisees and watching all that kind of stuff, and you can fall off on that, and everyone just begins to drive their sin underground and hide it and fake it and all that stuff because we've got this legalism kind of thing going on over here. And it's destructive and it's oppressive and it's not the gospel. But we are way around here more likely to fall off the wagon on this end. Where you see stuff going on in my life and you hear an attitude creeping into my voice or you wonder, hey, what's he doing there? But we don't love each other enough to say, hey, Am I seeing this right in your life? Because I love you enough to risk our friendship, our relationship, to sometimes ask some difficult questions. And that's not love either. Because that's allowing me to carry on down a road of destruction that ends in the place that I don't want to be. And hopefully you don't want me to be. You see, there is a wandering from the truth. They just is. And it's difficult for our society now. We're just sort of against it. But the truth is that there really is an objective truth. There is something that is true and it's objective and it's put out there by God himself. And it's not how I feel or it's not my truth or your truth. Or there, there is a, a truth out there. And when he talks about here in James, he's talking about the entire gospel. The whole plan of salvation, the whole revelation of God, all that is captured in the life and in the person and in the teachings and the example of Jesus Christ. It is a truth that can be known and it can be believed and it is the gospel and goodness in all of its dimensions. And this truth is something that we live out. Truth in the scriptures is something that we think and something that we speak, and perhaps most importantly of all, it's something that we do. We walk and live in the truth. But because God has revealed this objective truth, this reality that this is true and this is false, this will lead to life and this will lead to death, because of this objective truth, it is possible to wander from the truth. It's possible to go away from God's word. It's possible to wander away from the person of Jesus and all that he is. It's possible to wander from the truth. It just is. We know because we do it. And sometimes we wander from the truth because it's a deliberate decision. Because you've hurt me so much, I am not going to forgive you. And I'm deciding I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to show you grace because you just hurt me too much. And I make a decision to wander from the truth which says, forgive your enemies and pray for those who hate you. For their sake and also for yours. And so sometimes it's a decision. Sometimes we're led away from the truth. We just sort of surround ourselves or we get on YouTube or whatever the case may be and we follow this path and then somebody leads us away from the truth. And sometimes 
we just do it by accident. It's an unintentional drift. You know, we, we see this. This is, this is data. This is statistics. I'm just going to tell you this, and people don't believe it. It's, it's absolute truth. Participation in corporate community life leads to drift. We know that. You can look up the Bonner research. It'll show you on every measure of Christian virtue and Christian life, those who participate regularly in community life score higher, so to speak, or have reflected that measure in Jesus' life than people that don't. And so, of course, yeah, it's no big deal. I miss a worship service. Miss a worship service. Miss another one. Miss another one. Just come twice a month. Whatever it is. Ah, skip Bible study. Ah, you know, don't do this. And, 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 and we think it's no big deal. And at first, in an isolation, it's not a big deal. But I'm telling you, statistically, you can look it up. Don't take my word for it. Believe data. That's what I say. You'll see. Drift happens. So the truth is that we can wander from the truth, either deliberately or by being led astray, or just we unintentionally drift. And we find ourselves in a place in life, in a place in relationships, in a place in attitude that we know we should not be. And the truth is we don't even really want to be there. And we're in trouble. But the good news is that there is a returning to the truth. There's a coming back from our way of error. There's a coming back from our way of wandering. And that word for error in verse 20 is the same word for wandering in, in its root as verse 19. We can come back from wandering, no matter what the boys at A&W think. And so, how do we handle that? Well, number one, is we take this great truth and we realize that it's all of our responsibility. You see, the point of, of Christianity, the reason that God places us in a fellowship and puts people around us, is so that there's a mutual discipleship, a mutual teaching, a mutual encouragement, a mutual calling to account that takes place. I mean, but it's not, you know, just the elders who are responsible for us and so on. No, it's we sit beside people that we love and we know and we know what's going on in their life. And there's this invitation and the gospel to speak into each other's lives. All of us are responsible for each other. We are our sister and brother's keeper. We just are. And the second thing, because of this reality that it's our responsibility, we need to follow it. Why? Because it's an act of love. This is the part that I think we've got to get in our mind and in our heart because it doesn't feel that way. It feels like, well, who am I? And I've got all kinds of sin in my life and it's none of my business and somebody else will say it to them and all of these things. But we, we love our children and we see them heading down the road of destruction. We speak into their lives. It's an act of love. And the goal of speaking into each other's lives when we see some error sneaking in there is, is restoration, not condemnation. I mean, this is what I, I hope we really get from out of this whole thing, is that this is our attitude. It, it's, not, it's not hatred. It's not just mentalism. It's not legalism. It's not oppression. It's not all those things. No, it is an, it's intended to be an act of love with the end of restoration of relationship with people and with the church and with God and with all of creation, not condemnation. So well, that's the goal. How do we go about doing it? Well, I think there's a few things we can put into this whole deal to help us along the way. First of all, we do it slowly. 
We do it slowly. And by that I mean we don't jump in too early with accusations. We ask questions. We don't jump to conclusions. We ask questions. We do it slowly. Now, to do it slowly doesn't mean we don't do it early. Because you know what I find? In my life, I find that, that I can see things that are like, I don't know if that's going to be great for that marriage. Or I don't know if that's going to be great for this walk. I don't know if it's great for things in the close words. And, I mean, but, you know, it's not a big deal. It's maybe just once. And, you know, we can't be talking to some guy about his tone of voice that he used with his wife. I mean, what's that got to do with me? Uh, and then I don't say anything. And then I say, oh, it's getting a little bit worse. Oh, it's getting a little bit worse. And by the time I finally get the gumption or the love to speak, it's kind of too late for sorry, and so far down that path, it's really hard to come back. So to speak, when I say slowly, doesn't mean not early. It just means cautiously. It means to ask questions, not accuse. To investigate. Say, hey, I, is this, am I seeing this right? We do it slowly. Number two, we do it carefully. We do it slowly, we do it carefully. We do it in an attitude of prayer, recognizing that people and relationships can be hurt. I mean, we don't do it because we know this could be a little tense here. And so when we're going to go speaking into each other's lives, we don't do it like a bull in the china shop. We do it carefully, tenderly, ensuring that the words that I choose to use are words that convey love and grace and goodness and truth and that they know when I speak these words it's because it's because I speak carefully we do it compassionately slowly carefully and compassionately because we are all wanderers and if I'm not wandering today I will be wandering tomorrow and people face challenges in their life that we're probably not aware of. And there's probably a reason that they're doing this or this attitude or I'm doing this or whatever. There's probably a reason. So, and so when people come to me carefully, when people come to me with compassion, as somebody who is also a fellow traveler down this road of faith that we all stumble off this path, when they come with compassion, I see it in their eyes and in their face and in their words. And then the words even if challenged, become a bomb, not a sword. And finally, fourth, we do it biblically. We do it biblically. Slowly, carefully, compassionately, and biblically. But how do you do it biblically? Well, you know, everyone turns, and we, you kind of know it is Matthew chapter 18, right? I mean, that's, that's Jesus says, hey, listen, you know, when something's going on, how do you do it? Well, first you go and you speak to that brother or that sister, somebody that you're close to, and you say, hey... Am I seeing this right? And if they're like, yeah, you're seeing this right, but I don't care, or whatever the case may be, and there's no, there's no thing going on, I'm not changing, then, then it says, you know what, you can go into, and bring somebody else that's close, somebody else that's in your circle of intimacy with that person. And the two say, hey, what's going on? Now, Matt Chandler had a really good, I had never thought about this. But he says this, think about this. He says, the reason you got that second step in there is because you might be wrong. So if I'm seeing something in Duff's life, Duff, da 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 we have coffee, you know, we go down there, and Duff's like, Alan, you're just ignorant. If you'd understand history, then you'd know this and this and this, and father, this guy, and this. And my time all said and done, my head, my head stops spinning. I say, you're wrong, Duff. And I go away. And then I say, okay, well, you know what, uh, 
Duncan, you come with me, and we're going to go and talk to Duff because he's refusing this thing. And, and we sit down, and I say, Duff, you can't, I see that you've got this thing going on in your life. And Duff says, no, it's because you don't understand history. And Duncan says, Alan, you're wrong. You're seeing this wrong. Duff is right. I, I didn't think about that before. Because I always think about, because I assume I'm right. <laughs> what a surprise. I assume I'm right. I think, oh, I'm going to get Duncan to back up. We're going we'll to show Duff. No, no. He might say to me, Alan, you're wrong. Ooh, so now it's this close thing. But then if you go through that whole process, and then it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to continue on in this whole deal. Then, then you know, Jesus says, well, then, you know, you kind of got to go to some leadership. And, and then, if, you know, through this whole thing, if it doesn't work, then, then there's the thing where it's like, you know, you know what? You're not living in our community, and so we just, you know, can't have you in leadership, can't have you do this, can't have you do whatever the case may be. Now, here's the thing. That requires be, be in relationships. It requires we be in relationship with each other. And the reason that we entertain these conversations and the reason we go into them is, is why. I'll tell you why. It's because we can't stand the thought of that person not sitting beside us in worship. And we can't stand the thought of that person not being in glory forever. And we can't stand the thought of not seeing them in the new creation. And if that's not my motivation, if it's not because, you know, it just would kill me not to see you with me. It would just kill me not to see you. It would kill me not to see you taking communion with me. If that's not my, my motivation, I'm not ready to do the whole deal yet. Right? So there's one of two things. I can either think I'm wrong or I can get into a relationship or I can pray and say, Lord, you've got to change my heart in this so that I do this right because... Maybe I'm being judgmental. Maybe I'm over here on this side and falling off the wagon on this side and I'm being legalistic or I'm, you know, I'm being power hungry or getting vengeance or whatever kind of junk might creep into my heart. Because it takes relationship, which is why it's so important that we be in relationship with each other. And we know we can't be in relationship that kind of intensity with this many people. And that's why, that's why small groups are so important. So there's people that are close enough to be able to see us and be involved and, 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 and we can know that they come with love with us. And it's so good when we're close enough to that. I was talking to a friend of mine just, just this, uh, when was it? Yesterday, I think it was. Or this week, anyhow. Because back a few months ago, uh, they saw something in my life that they thought, ah, you know, I don't know, that's the right thing. And they just kind of came and said, hey, Al, you know, I see this. Is that, am I seeing this right? Or whatever. I mean, it was, it was not a, ended up not being, it wasn't a thing. But, but it's so good when we're close enough with somebody that they can speak into our lives and we can trust that they're saying it out of love. Because it brings the wandering one back. So what happens then? Here I am wandering away. And my friends or the elders or somebody comes and says, Hey, Alan, da, 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 you did this, blah, 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 blah. And they're right and they're not right. And I am wondering, Lord, I wonder, Lord, I've left the God I love. And I still can't come back. Then what happens when the wandering wand returns. Well, James tells us a couple of things. The first thing he says is that, listen, when we do that, we give each other life. We stop judgment on the day of judgment. We save each other from death. And of course, he's talking about spiritual death, there, eternal separation from God. This is serious stuff. And it's so important that we get this. You know, see us... 
Lewis helped me so much with the little saying he has on this deal because, you know, part of the thing is, well, you know, could God really, you know, separate people? Didn't he love everybody and so on? And Lewis says this, we have a choice. God in his mercy and his grace gives us a choice. During our lifetime, even when we wander away, we can turn to God Almighty and say, your will be done. And I can turn around and confess and come back to the narrow road. But Lewis says this, but if we don't do that, if we don't say to God, thy will be done, then come the day of judgment. And there is a day of judgment. Make no mistake. Come the day of judgment. If we have not said to God, thy will be done, then God says to me, Alan, your will be done. You want to be distant from me? You want to be separate from me? You want to be away from me? Okay. Okay. And that's how it is that a loving God can have an eternity that is not with him. Thy will be done. Or thy will be done. And when we wander away and when we come, oh God, I've done it, I've done it again. Just like that guy said. I want you all in my life. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Sit it for the courts above. And God does. And he gives us life, not death. But it's not just me and God or the person who's sword in God. It's, it's me and you and you and me and us together. And there's a part that he talks in there that we've got to be really, really, really careful about this next little bit. Because he says, when you do that, you cover over a multitude of sins. Now here's what's important. This is cover over, not cover up. Okay? There's a big difference between covering over and covering up. We need to be absolutely clear here because the church has done too much covering up. We have. And the world is right in pointing the finger and saying, there's all this sexual abuse in the church of preachers and elders and teachers and this and this and there's hatred in the church and there's all these things and, and there's been a cover-up and the world has sniffed it out and say, this is junk. And they're right. They're right to point their fingers at the church universal when we do that. Because God is not advocating a cover-up when bad things happen. God is talking about covering over, not sweeping stuff under the rug, not paying hush money, not denying the truth, not stonewalling when people question, not covering up, but covering over. What is that? Well, the whole context, look at the context. The whole context of this passage, these words, is, in, is about confronting sin in my life, right? The whole context is, Jones, you've messed up. 
Jones, you've sinned. Jones, look at this whole kind of a deal that's going on here. That's the context. So it's obviously not covering up. It's got to be dealt with, right? So what is it then? What is it? Well, covering over is going to somebody when they have wandered from the truth and confronting that sin and leading that person to a restoration of relationship with God, with the church, and hopefully the injured person. Hopefully, because that's, that's where it begins, right? If I have hurt you, and I've done it on purpose, and sort of, you know, Dale comes to me and says, Alan, when you did this, you damaged this person. You hurt that. I see this right. And, you know, ah. And I realize that I did, and I come back, and I say, I have no excuse. And there's no ifs, and there's no buts. I messed up. I sinned against you, and I have hurt your heart, and I have damaged our relationship. And I am so sorry. And if there's any way that I can make amends, I want to do that. How much easier is it then for you to forgive me? You know, I learned from, who's that Australian guy that Ryan brought up? Mark Strong. There was a great teaching that he said there. He said, you know what? When you go and you are apologizing and you are, you've sinned against somebody, don't ask them to forgive you. Why? He said, because that puts the burden back on them. But I'm carrying this burden where I've sinned against you and now I've said I'm sorry. And now I say, now, now it's up to you. Now you're a Christian. Now you've got to forgive me. But we don't put the burden on the other person. The Holy Spirit and God works in the heart of that other person. And when they are able and when they are ready, then maybe forgiveness will come. But that's not part, that's not part of his restoring relationship, is to go and say, will you forgive me? No. We just go and we say, I messed up. And I am so sorry. And I want to make amends. And whatever cost this hurts, incurred in your heart, in your property, in your, I want to bear that cost, not you. And so when we do that, he says, then we cover up sin. We cover over sin, rather. So what is it? Well, there's two or three things involved here. Number one, Cover over is Old Testament language for forgiveness. Okay, that's, that's, that's what it is, right? And so what it's saying is that, is that when we come and we, we, we restore somebody, we bring that wandering back person back, then what we do, we cover over their sin. We bring them back to the place where they are forgiven. We bring them to this table. And so they say, yes, Lord, forgive me. Yes, Lord, I'm guilty of this. We lead people back to the place where they can be forgiven. And so it's Old Testament language. Cover over is Old Testament language for to receive forgiveness. And that's what we want people to do, to come into their lives and to be forgiven, for sure by God and maybe even someday by the person that they've hurt. Second thing, you might remember from the very beginning that I told you that the book of James is basically built on the Sermon on the Mount and Proverbs. Maybe you've forgotten that, but it is. And you can trace all kinds of connections. There's a couple of proverbs that, that, that capture what's going on here. 
But the, the smart people tell me this is, this is what lies behind this. The first one is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. And this is what it says. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. What he's saying here is that bringing a wandering back to the path of truth eliminates conflict because there's been hurt, because there's been damage. And when we go to each other and we speak into each other's lives, whether, you know, you've hurt me or I see you in your life or, you know, you're going to be hurt or whatever it is. When we go and we speak into each other's lives and we come back, then, then conflict evaporates. When, when you ask me for forgiveness, rather, when I offer you forgiveness because you've confessed, God, we go against my own words here then that conflict is resolved. That whole deal with Duff, you know, when Duncan tells you, no, Alan, actually you're wrong, then Duff can say to me, it's okay, Alan, I realize that you just need to read a few more books and you wouldn't have made this mistake. <laughs> and then he didn't hold that against me. And then that relationship is restored. In fact, that relationship is deepened because we've experienced this time together. So the first thing that this covering over, it means, uh, it means uh, to, to, to bring an end to the conflict, to pour oil and balm on the conflict. The second proverb that they say it is based on is Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Well, that's kind of an interesting one, isn't it? Because, and what, what, what Miriam is saying is that she says that this is a command against gossip. It's saying that gossip is the opposite of forgiveness. Gossip is the opposite of forgiveness. It really is. If I'm going to come and start telling you all the things that this person did to me, blah, 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 that isn't forgiveness. What's that going to do is that is going to place in your heart suspicion and animosity and maybe anger, depending on who that person is, against that person. And all of a sudden, every time you see that person, the voice of Alan Jones and the gossip that I spread comes into your heart, into your mind, and that is the picture that you have of that person. Gossip is the opposite of forgiveness. And what he's saying is that don't spread the news of what a fallen one has done, but instead receive repentance. And welcome that person back with grace and love and no further rebuke or shame because that matter has been dealt with. And now they are restored by the blood of Jesus. And you don't need to talk about it anymore to anyone. Third on this covering over. It's kind of like the, the circle of effect. It ties up to this whole thing about gospel. And here's, here's the rule of, of you know, the, the restoration. Is that only the people who are affected by that sin should know about that sin. Right? And not everybody needs to know everything. There's a circle of effect. And the greater the person of influence, then the greater the circle of effect. That's why in 1 Timothy, there's this kind of scary passage. Do not entertain the accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses, right? Because, you know, some people just get kind of ticked off. And so, you know, you've got to be careful. You've got to look after the leaders. But then look what it says next. I hope. Next slide. 
But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take the warning. In other words, if you mess up, only that little small people, maybe your small group needs to go, maybe this or whatever the case may be, right? The people that are going to walk with you and do life with you and stuff and the rest of it is none of their business. If I mess up, the elders are up here saying, this is what Jones did. Alan, what do you have to say about that? I'm sorry, please forgive me, please. Oh, for grace. Oh, for grace. I'm constrained to be. Bind my heart, Lord, like a fetter. Take my wandering heart to you. And that's done for all of you. Because all of you are affected. Because I'm the preacher. I mean, you're in the community. You say, hey, is that right? Your preacher did this. You absconded with 53 cents. But if it's not a leader, just those that need to know get to know. Because gossip is the opposite of forgiveness. And it separates people who otherwise might be close friends. Wide influence, wide knowledge. Narrow influence, narrow knowledge. Because the whole point is restoration and health. Because we truly love each other. And so we all wander. Big ways or little ways. We all wander. We all stumble off the path. Every single one of us. And if we're very blessed... If we are very blessed, we will have people in our life, in our small group, in our fellowship, in our church, who love us enough to come and say, hey, Alan, I've noticed this. Am I seeing that right? Come back to the path. Because we all want to be able to sing the verse of that hymn that I don't think we sing very often. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, clothed then in blood washed linen how I'll sing thy sovereign grace almighty God we are wandering ones and we each one get off the path we just do And sometimes we mean to and sometimes we don't. But we are so very thankful that you stand and call us back to the path of truth. And in your kindness, you put people into our lives that know us and love us and can question us, challenge us, 
sometimes even rebuke us because they love each other. God help us to love each other enough to call back the wandering ones, to pray for the wandering ones. And give us the humility, Lord, and the courage that when we wander, we come back to your table of grace and we receive your grace and you take our wandering heart and you seal it for the courts above through the blood of Jesus who washes us clean. It's in his name we pray. Amen.